Ice Time Nation, Brad and I know absolutely nothing when it comes to the NFL. This week on Driven Sports. That's right, everybody. It's Wednesday. That means it is time for Drippin' Sports with the Iceman and the coach. I want to bring in Coach. How you doing, bud? Man, the Iceman, I'm, I'm doing well. But after this weekend, after Sunday, my mind is, is just twisted and turned every which way after what we saw in the NFL. Is that because you got lucky on Bill's Titans last night and happened to bet a number that almost didn't come true? So I definitely thought, as I text you, that I bet 48 and a half. And, and so I was literally like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. And I went back in and checked and I, I saw that my account was credited. And so I looked, I'm like, oh, I got it at 47 and a half. Fantastic. So yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be a high scoring game i didn't think that it was all going to come from one team which we'll talk about that more i think here shortly but between that and just the late comebacks on sunday some of the games that i think everyone felt the most confident about going the complete opposite direction the nfl once again is it's the king of parody and probably all sports leagues not just pro but just college pro any any sports league at all i mean they do it the best it was it was a weekend that highlighted to me what i said at the top was we don't really know anything. And I think that that happens every single year, honestly. We have a lot of pundits in every single sport who feel like they know a lot of things. But in the NFL, there's some really smart pundits and there's some pundits that I'm not a huge fan of. But at the end of the day, we can look at teams on paper all we want and try to project what they're going to look like. And ultimately it matters what happens on the field. And I feel like it takes us forever to get any semblance of what we know. I mean, two games, even in a 17 game season, there's just no way that you, or at least I, as a statistician, can extrapolate out as to what is real or not. But we're going to take a stab at it, breaking down some of the games uh, in the NFL and the NCAA. But I want to get to a topic, the NBA, actually. We've never talked about that between the two of us on this show, but it's about ownership. The Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver, recently received a pretty hefty punishment where I believe he was suspended for the rest of this year from basketball operations, whatever that is, and hit with a $10 million fine. And that was because of a plethora of workplace, uncomfortable situations of racial stuff and sexism and just general terrible workplace behavior from a guy in his position. Interestingly enough, though, we have seen that kind of thing from other owners, you know, Robert Kraft. We've heard stories about Jerry Jones. And the only owner who's ever really been taken to task was Donald Sterling a few years back. I don't know if you remember that or not. The Clippers owner who was taped without his consent, which I didn't agree with, but then ultimately was was kicked out of the league because the other owners wanted him gone. And I wanted to get your thoughts initially on how owners are treated in terms of this kind of discipline when we have seen players not, or we've seen players, I guess, taken to task for things like deflated footballs but yet owners don't seem to be held to that standard, even though in the collective bargaining agreement, they're supposed to be held to a higher one. The first thing that came to mind uh, when I saw this was the Donald Sterling case and that situation. It, it, for some reason, um, it, it seems like there's more scrutiny put on NBA owners, maybe. I, you feel like you hear about it more, but now we did have, um, and of course, I, as the name's escaping me, the, the owner of the commanders you know he was kind of under scrutiny a few years ago daniel snyder uh, for some sim yeah daniel snyder for similar issues you know you had the robert Kraft thing like you mentioned but it, it really is sad that in this country 
the amount of money you make, how much money you have, the what type of attorneys you can afford, so on and so forth, can sort of protect you from some of these things. And, and probably more so what I think is disturbing is that people who are in these positions uh, feel some sense of entitlement because of their position and their wealth, whatever it is, to be able to essentially say and do whatever they want as if they are beyond reproach. That's probably what disturbs me the most. I do think it would be better for everyone as a whole if these owners were held more accountable. I don't know how tricky that is logistically from a, a NFL, NBA, whatever standpoint, administratively. I don't know how easy it is to run an owner off and find someone to replace them. Uh, you know, that's kind of tricky. I've always found that when it comes to someone owning a business and telling them how they have to handle that, it's a tricky thing because they own the business. So technically they can do whatever the hell they want to, but you can't <laughs> at the same time. You know, one thing I found the most interesting that stuck out to me, although I do think one year suspension is soft. Um, as I was reading up on some things, the one situation that sort of piqued my interest was the incident where he went into the locker room after a game against the Warriors and was using the n-word repetitively and the coach stopped him and says you can't say that and he goes well Draymond Green says it why can't I if you take all everything else out of the equation I I do think that's one thing I think has to happen is nobody should say that word Nobody should say that word. I don't care who you are. No one should say that word, period. I, that's one thing I think that at least my personal belief I think should happen is that it's not like it's okay for these people to say it. It's not okay for those people to say it. If it's as derogatory as we are, most of us believe it is, it should be completely off the board for everybody. There, there shouldn't be, yeah, okay, you can say it, you can't. Um, and, and any iteration of it, really. I, I know there's some debate there, but overall, I agree that these owners are not held to a high enough standard. They're given too much leeway. I think they buy themselves out of a lot of these issues and something should be done about it. Isn't it funny how in this country, and I don't know where you align politically, and, and quite frankly, I don't care. It's not the point, but there's a dichotomy in politics now where we have a lot of us versus them. And depending on what side of the aisle you you reside on, I guess, it, it, it gives credence to however loud you are about certain issues, but you brought up something that's really fascinating. I feel like no matter what side of the fence you end up wanting to be on or are on, the the people who are or seem above reproach because they have more money than we do seems to be a commonality that we all can get behind. Very rarely do you seem to find people who are like, yeah, they're rich, they should be able to get away with these things. And it's interesting that a guy like Sarver could go into a locker room and think because Draymond Green used the word that I could use it. And to me, that speaks directly to what you're talking about. It's what, what was that kid? Do you remember the kid who, who claimed affluence? He was too rich to understand consequences. This was a couple years back. And it's almost like these owners are like that. Now, Robert Kraft was a little different because he just had a little bit, he needed to get a little side piece. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have done that in so many better ways. I always said he's rich. Why couldn't he have done that literally anywhere else? Like that was so strange to me. He could have paid someone to come to his home, right? For that. Why Why would you go to a cheap, you know, uh, strip mall 
massage parlor for that. Well, that, and I think he was on his way to Kansas City for the AFC Championship game. He could have had them on the plate. Like, the guy has how many planes you think at his disposal. That was a little bit different. The Daniel Snyder stuff for the commanders was a little bit more akin to this, although I think it was less his particular behavior and more of a workplace environment. But I think what it ultimately comes down to is the only way to get rid of an owner is if the other owners don't want him in their club. I mean, that's really what it is, if you think about it. Think about the NFL, where the owners are even within the owners. There's haves and have-nots. We all know that Jerry Jones basically is the top owner when it comes to influence with Roger Goodell. So if Jerry Jones doesn't want you there, then nobody else is going to want you there. And Daniel Snyder has done everything under the sun and still remains an owner. He's even stolen the owner's money. And I just don't understand what it's going to take for one of these guys to be out of the job. I get that they're the owner of the team and all that, but there has to be a line somewhere. And so I, I wanted to bring that up with you to see what your thoughts are, because we don't talk about that kind of stuff, but it was in the news last week. And it just seems important given everything we've talked about with Deshaun Watson and all of that. I think that these owners should be held accountable in the same kind of way. Well, and it's, it's one of those things that's fun to talk about, but at the same time, it almost feels like it's fantasy world right like it doesn't matter it's like the rules that apply to your life and my life and and 99 percent of people's lives don't apply to those guys mm -hmm. and it's just so hard for i think us common folk per se to wrap our heads around how, how someone could behave that way and get away with it and why they even believe it's okay to behave in that manner because the rest of us there would be pretty serious consequences if we did something like that oh 100 percent segueing to the action of the week and speaking of fantasy something happened in the nfl this week that i think affected a lot of fantasy owners and that was trey lance's injury i assume most people listening to this are aware of it or at least watched the nfl this particular weekend but trey lance is out for the season having had season ending ankle surgery in what i assume was a really bad injury i don't re-watch the re replays of those when a guy goes down and they got the card out there i have zero interest in seeing how his leg snapped in one way or the other uh, but it leaves a huge hole with the 49ers, or at least it seemed like it did. And then Jimmy G comes in, and I have to say, I think the team responded. But certainly, I feel bad for Trey Lance because you'd never want to see a guy go down this early in his career. Before, like we said last week, he's really had a good a good chance to prove himself. It's always tough to see that. Those injuries are brutal. And now, from what I saw, at least what they showed on the red zone when I was paying attention, I, I don't think they really got a good shot of what happened, at least from maybe I left the room or something. So I was kind of happy about that though, because I, you know, based off the response on the field, you could tell it wasn't good. So I'm happy I didn't necessarily see it, but you hate to see that to a guy, especially someone that's sort of unproven like him, because all it's going to take is Jimmy G to have a great year, the best year of his career. And Trey Lance all of a sudden is a backup quarterback or he's on the trade. He, he, he could be like this injury single-handedly could have made him instantly a journeyman backup quarterback for the rest of his career, as opposed to maybe the franchise quarterback for the 49ers for the foreseeable future, because all it takes is Jimmy G to have a great year. And yeah, he might get traded somewhere else, but we, we've kind of seen how this thing works out time and time again. And I wonder that a lot as I'm watching games, you know, um, you know, my buddy, uh, Jake, AKA Justin Herbert, you know, I'm like, God, this guy's one injury away from like, his, you know, things getting really weird for him or, 
even last night, like Josh Allen, gosh, he's so damn good. And it's like, but all it takes is like one of these crazy injuries. And it's like his career could instantly be on a different path. And the, the franchise could be going to totally, I mean, it, it's so fragile when you think about it, which is why I understand why the league does what they do to protect these guys so much, because they are very, very valuable. And I was talking to someone like that. I'm like, are you going to turn on a, a Packers game to watch Jordan Love play? No, you're not. Like, yeah, sure, if you're a diehard Packers fan, you might. But if you're a casual football fan, are you going to turn on the Packers game to watch Jordan Love? No. Like, and the NFL knows that. They know the, the value those guys have, and so they protect them. And real quick, too, before you come back in, so Jimmy G, the one of the most fascinating things about him is he made $350,000 Sunday. Yes, he did. He got two hundred and fifty grand for taking more than 25% of the snaps and hundred grand for the win and he's going to get that every game the rest of the year yes he so is. I, i'd be curious if like they try to read if they try to renegotiate something i mean he'd be stupid obviously to to renegotiate this point unless it's pretty lucrative but i found that really interesting oh i agree i think the interesting part for me for the 49ers is the fact that if they have a run and win the super bowl trey lance is their future so Jimmy G is probably going to move on because they see Trey Lance as their future. But my question is, what happens with the guys that remain? How are they going to respond now having Trey Lance and not having the other option? To me, this is, I think, where Tua was last year, two years ago, with Fitzy on the bench. And they always kept putting him in, in the tough spots. And it seemed like the players responded to Fitz. And now two years later, you're seeing you know Tua. But... I think that that will be something to watch. Uh, to me, I think the 49ers are dangerous now because they have a guy who took them to the NFC Championship, and can he get that one step further and get past what has currently been his ceiling? They're built to win right now, and I think this injury, while catastrophic for Trey Lance, it really doesn't hurt. Actually, in Vegas, and Vegas knows all, their odds to win the Super Bowl went up. Yeah, I don't think it hurts their chances. I mean, like I said, I think the, the loser in this, minus the injury, is Trey Lance because I kind of disagree with you that if, let's say, they win the Super Bowl this year, I don't, I don't think that they still see Trey Lance as their future just because I, I don't know what his injury history is, if he's ever sustained a serious injury, missed a lot of time, and had to come back. But that messes with people, you know, the recovery favoring, you know, one leg or the other. I mean, there's so many things psychologically even that play into it and not knowing how he's going to respond is, you know, really concerning. I think from an organizational standpoint, now, obviously you hope he comes back and he's healthy and he's, he gets back on track. I mean, I hope that for his sake, but I, I think it's too soon to, to say that they still believe he is the future I, I think they hope he is but i don't know if you can bank on it at this point i think that gets down to an economic discussion that is probably a little bit too long for this episode but i will say for my counterpoint is joe burrow kind of had the same thing i felt the same way about joey b coming into last season and they made a run to the super bowl so i think anything is possible and we will see what what happened but i think to me the story of the weekend was comebacks and really it happened all throughout the day. Um, the one that I think we want to talk about first is Tua and the Ravens. This was a game we had penciled in last week as a test for Tua and the Dolphins. They look like dog shit for three quarters, and then all of a sudden they come roaring back. And I want to ask you, is this a game that we learned anything, or is this one of those random samples where it could happen and we really don't know anything about either team? We're going to have to wait a little bit because this is just one of those anomalies. I feel like this game created more questions than it answered uh, about both teams because for 
three quarters, the Ravens looked really good. I thought, you know, their offense looked explosive. Um, but you can't ignore the fact that rookie head coach Mike McDaniels, who or Mike McDaniel, who looks like your junior high science teacher, has the Dolphins rolling, man. I mean, it's so funny. You see these clips they play of him walking around at practices or whatever, talking to the linemen. He's like, isn't it totally crazy that a guy like me could have an impact on what you do in your job, <laughs> you know, like as a 300 pound offensive tackle or whatever. And then you can't ignore Tua, man. 469 yards passing, six touchdowns, did have two interceptions, but fuck the two interceptions. I mean, 469 and six touchdowns, that's ridiculous. And most of which occurred in the second half or even fourth quarter. There, there's no denying that Tua is special in talent. There's no denying this team is willing to play for Mike McDaniel. I don't think this leads to you. I and mean, there's questions for the Ravens for me, obviously. I have questions about the Dolphins. Like, are they feel? I think we're a couple weeks away from really. Well, next week they play Buffalo. So we'll find out a lot then. But uh, I think the Ravens will be okay. They're well coached. They have a veteran coach. But that's also one thing, too. The Dolphins are 2 0 against two of the most accomplished veteran coaches in the league and Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh. So, again, we know nothing, man. I, 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 this creates way more questions than answers for me. I think this is a game where you hand Tua his flowers and you say, great job. Like, this is a great performance, a great comeback, and you want to see that out of your franchise quarterback. And if you take away the loss, Lamar Jackson had another killer game. And Lamar is going to get paid a lot of money as long as he doesn't get hurt. And I think that his talent is very obvious. But I think for both of these teams, you are 100% right. It creates more questions. And I think two games in, I'm not confident to make any kind of assertion on either team. I think the Ravens are probably more solid as a good team because we saw that they were a good team last year before Lamar Jackson got hurt, won a couple games without him. But for Tua and the Dolphins, they have their nemesis coming up because they have not been able to beat Buffalo. Tua has not been able to beat them. And I want to see what they look like in December. And these games are important to an extent. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think seeing those wins and how they can respond in December and maybe even in January if they make the playoffs, I think that's going to be when I feel a little bit different. And I think it's a great win. But I, like you, I don't feel as if, okay, I'm confirmed confirmation bias that Tua is great and he's going to be excellent. He's going to win multiple Super Bowls. A lot of people in Miami want to say that because they haven't had a good team in 30 years. But I think it's just a good win in a bottle in, in a vacuum and you want to see what happens down the road. Speaking of comebacks, your boy Cliff Kingsbury, I said offline, I thought he was going to be the new Scott Frost, that his seat might be, you know, percolating a little bit. And for three quarters, it looked like his seat was getting a little hot and Kyler Murray kind of bailed him out. And they beat the hapless Raiders and moved to one and one. And I want to ask you, is this another one of those where the Raiders are not what we thought they were? Because, man, the Cardinals did not look good against a very superior opponent last week in the Chiefs. I think that, first of all, I think that Cliff Kingsbury's job is directly tied to Kyler Murray's performance and, and his ability to sustain that performance. He advocated strongly for taking Kyler. I mean, he was the one who made that choice. So his trailer is hitched to the Kyler Murray bandwagon. And as, as he goes, Cliff's career will go. Now, what we saw late in that game is he's a really special player. You know, I, I don't, his stats weren't that great if you look at him, but especially like in rel in relation to the performance that you saw if you were watching it with your eyes. But the thing is, is that it all happened late. 
It all happened late in the game, fourth quarter. Some of those two-point conversions, and like there was one play where he rushed for. They were on like the 18-yard line or something, and he rushed. He ran for 80 yards. And it was like a 28 second long play. I mean, it was stupid. And not everyone, well, not very many people can do what he did on that play. He's so athletic and talented. It's it's absurd. But with that talent, you know, he he's said himself basically, like he is not going to be a a Peyton Manning when it comes to his aptitude of the game and a student of the game or whatever. Like he he relies very heavily on his athletic ability, which is significant. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. You know, as far as the Raiders are concerned, I'm not I'm not out on the Raiders yet. I, I think that, you know, Derek Carr, you know, I think he's kind of underrated in his ability as a quarterback. I think he's really solid. I think, you know, Josh McDaniels is a great offensive mind. I, I do think the Raiders will be okay. Their downfall is, you know, that division is, is fairly solid. So, um, you know, the Chiefs obviously are really good uh you know the broncos we'll see but the chargers might be one of the better teams in the game so that's a tough division to play in and we'll we'll see how they turn out but you know overall shit man you you got to be impressed with what kyler did late in that game oh i think it's another performance where you just have to give kyler his flowers for that i'm not high on the raiders i wasn't high on them last year i felt like they overachieved and i'm, I'm not low on Derek carr but that franchise in general just hasn't really had it for me and I think Josh McDaniels, he's got to look at himself in the mirror now because this is his second head coaching gig, and to start the way that he has started is not great, especially get being handed a playoff team from last year and being given Devontae Adams. So you want to see that team pick it up a little bit, and I think that ultimately they will. I don't think they're going to be a bottom feeder, but can't see that kind of a loss, and you just can't start your season that way, and I think you are 100% right. I know you love Cliff. But Cliff, in my mind, has failed upward. Like, he failed having Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, couldn't win anything significant, lost his job, and then ended up in an NFL head coaching gig, which is just amazing. And then you talked about him advocating for Kyler, not, what, a week prior? He said Josh Rosen is QB1, and then just jettisoned him right out of there. Well, a couple of things. I never understood the Josh Rosen thing to begin with. I, I don't know how he w was drafted as high as he was and everything else. You know, you are not wrong. Like, it is kind of mind-boggling that Cliff Kingsbury goes from being a failed head coach at Texas Tech, mediocre at best, to coaching an NFL team, one of the 32 best jobs in the country, right? I mean, I guarantee you if you pulled American men, a vast majority of them would leave their job right now to be one of the 32 head coaches of an NFL team. Even if it was just for one game, <laughs> they would probably be like, yep, yeah, I'll do it. And, and so the fact that, you know, they're, they're such highly competitive jobs and, and he got one it is a little concerning and not how concerning, but just puzzling. At the same time, you know we've talked about this a lot the league is really trended towards chasing down those young hot offensive minded coaches and he's one of them now is that going to pan out we'll see i do i do think this is a make or break year as you said as far as the hot seat goes again man he's, he's hitched to kyler and how how he plays you're not wrong he's got some great hair and i remember when he was asked about recruiting if he was recruiting and it was a single mom he'd kind of you know turn on the charm a little bit and i'm like hey you know what all power too you got to get that kid in the program unfortunately he couldn't coach any of those kids to any semblance of success like it blows my mind he had patrick mahomes and nothing so last comeback and this is the best one the jets that's right the j-e-t-s jets 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 with joe flacco 
48-year-old Joe Flacco came back from 14 down or 13 down to beat the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. I was just thrilled beyond belief at this. Found myself rooting for the Jets. But one thing I want to ask you as a part of this game, because really this result isn't that important for the Jets and for the Browns, it, it is what it is. But late in the game, Nick Chubb had a chance to run some clock down, decided to score, and they ended up losing the game. Had he gone down, they would have been able to take more time off the clock. The Jets would not have had the opportunity to come back and score two touchdowns. Now, I saw some back and forth on Twitter, people saying Nick Chubb doesn't play defense. But from a game theory perspective, you want to ensure the win and Nick Chubb not getting in the end zone and letting the clock run allows them a better chance at winning. I wanted to hear your thoughts from the coach's perspective there. Well, you just said that's a coaching decision. That's something that comes from the sideline. That Those guys don't make, they're not paid to make those decisions. That's, that's a decision that comes from the coaching staff. I'll say this about Nick Chubb. He's one of my favorite NFL players. The guy is a pro. I'm not a big person when it comes to like flash and all that stuff. And, and he's that, right? He's just very workmanlike. Um, he goes out there. He does his job. You know, he runs the ball. He gets his first down. He gets up, hands the ball. The ref goes back to the huddle. He's not doing a dance, grabbing his dick and shaking the ball. You know, like he's some hero. Um, I mean, it's just he he's not doing the same things that you see some of these other quote unquote superstar players doing. It's not about him, right? He's just there to do his job and help his team and, and i like in my soul i love that personality and i think he's very talented but from the gameplay decision that's a coaching thing that comes from the coach to the quarterback and he relays that hey we're not trying to score here you know if you, if you get a chance to score go down you can't put that on the player because let's say that he goes down and for some reason the next play they fumble and it's or if it's a pick six or whatever then everybody be like why didn't the idiot score you know, so you could you could scenario that thing out all day long. Um, the Jets, I'll tell you what, the Jets have them and the, the Lions, man. My Detroit Lions. They have, I love, and you're kind of going to get a theme here, right, between talking about Nick Chubb and his workmanlike effort. And I think that the Jets, the Lions, they have that sort of grit to them. And, I, and that's such a cliche word, but grit. I'll use another cliche. Just that lunch pail, we're going to outwork you. Um, we're going to prove all the haters wrong mentality. And I, I kind of take to that, man. I'm a natural underdog. And so I kind of like that. And I'm happy to see uh, that sort of thought process prevail a little bit. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, some of these teams, they have nothing to lose. Like the Lions really don't have anything to lose. They, they probably are not a, a playoff team, but they, they go out there and they play. You watch hard, your mouth. Oh, I'm just saying they're not a playoff team. Uh, I'm just going to put that out there right now. I, agree, I'm to not dis Lions. agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Right. Come on, Lions. That is that is fine. At the end of the show, we're going to go over your pick em record here. So maybe we'll find out a little bit more about how you feel about certain teams. But thus far, we've killed a lot of dreams here on Drippin' Sports. But speaking of dream killing, so teams starting 0-2. There are four of them in the league. And I want to give you a stat that's not my official stat. But coming into this week, there were 400 teams in league history to start 0-2. Only 38 of those teams made the playoffs. And now after week two, we have four teams, the Bengals, the Raiders, the Titans, and the Panthers. I want to point out as well, three of those teams were AFC playoff contenders last year. I want to know from you, which one do you think is in the most trouble of not making the playoffs? The Titans. Um, I mean, really, Titans, Panthers stick out significantly. Uh, I don't think either of them are very good. The Titans are solely reliant on Derrick Henry being Derrick Henry. They have no other threats. Ryan Tannehill is a game manager. He's not dynamic. He's not a playmaker. And unfortunately for them, 
their defense it has not been what we saw last night. I don't even know why they put guys on the field. Uh, they just got absolutely obliterated. Now, yes, Josh Allen and the Bills offense is one of the most prolific offenses in the league, but they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them just a year ago. Um, you know, so I, I, it's, it's not looking great there. Now, what they do have going for them is they host the Raiders this week, and then they have the Colts and Commanders back-to-back. -back. So they do have a chance to rebound and get the ball rolling here if they can get it together. Now, the Panthers, their two losses are against what we all assume were bad team. We're going to be bad teams. The Browns and the Giants, right? And you know what kind of strikes me is they the, the Panthers look a lot like the Baker Browns competitive but just enough to lose close right and that's what's happened now as far as the Bengals and raiders i have faith there the Bengals have a tough schedule coming up they've got miami uh baltimore new orleans what, what they need to do is they need to play football for four quarters it's almost like they they're they don't show up till halftime and by then they, they have to dig themselves out of a hole and i think that we need to see joe burrow and jamar chase get on the same page get things rolling a little bit not just for their sake but for my fantasy football sake as well i i have faith that they'll get it right and then the raiders you know they've they've played well enough really they've played close enough and well enough to be 2-0 but they are 0-2 and they have the titans coming up here in week three so i do think that's sort of a pivotal matchup for both of those teams as far as who can get the ball rolling and get some momentum going into the rest of the season yeah i can't agree more the only thing i would say is that i think the bengals are hitting that that worst to first curse and i said this the other day with my brother-in-law usually when teams like the bengals who have been perennial losers and i'm not trying to you know bash cincinnati but the bengals have been known for more losing than winning generally when you go worst to first your schedule the next year becomes more difficult and in this case not only is that happening but there's a target on their back because they went to the super bowl last year the bengals are not going to surprise anybody i might have said that last week and i think that it's going to be tough sledding they need to get on the same page i think their offensive line still has issues but you cannot win in this league if you're not showing up until the second quarter even with a cooper rush led offense these are professionals and you've got to treat them like professionals i think that the titans were fraudulent last year they lost in their first game i think that they're toast this year panthers i think are toast and i think the raiders ultimately will be toast because that division is just so damn hard i think the Bengals have the best shot here but on the reverse side of that we actually have seven teams it looks like that are two and oh bills really good chiefs really good giants eh. eagles looking pretty good dolphins and then the bucks and I have the Eagles down here twice because I'm an amateur. However, however, I want to know from you, which one of these do you think is not real? I have an idea of who you're going to say, but I want to hear your thoughts because there's a couple teams on here that I think are are being talked about a lot at 2-0. Well, the one that sticks out immediately is the Giants, right? No one's a believer yet. They've, they've been very pedestrian the last few years. And so that's the one right now that nobody believes. Their two wins are over teams who are 0-2 the titans and panthers and and they just need more offensively they have not scored a lot of points they've just you know, maybe their defense is really good they're not going to have to but they they don't have the 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 firepower on offense to, i think sustain anything this year um the other team that i think is sort of i'm not sold on is the bucks man i'm not sold on the bucks uh tom brady does not look as sharp as he's been and i sense there's some turmoil there man in the organization on the in the team in general in the locker room I, I, I don't think that's going to end well there for him. He should have just stayed fucking retired, honestly, and just kind of keep going. I mean, the next one that's on the outside looking in would be the Dolphins. And I wouldn't say that. I just think they're still um, in question. 
Uh, they've got quality wins. You know, Tua seems like he's for real, but they got the Bills possibly this week, and then they follow the Bills with, you know, maybe what will be the resurging Bengals at that point. So they, they might have a couple tough ones here back to back where we'll find out. Bills and Chiefs, the class of the NFL. Absolutely. Allen and yeah, Allen and Diggs, they're dominant. Their defense is only giving up 17 points in two weeks, and that's to a Derrick Henry offense who I just shit on. But I mean, Derrick Henry's still really good. And then you have a Sean McVay Rams offense that is known to be explosive, and they've given up 17 total points. So if their defense can do that, uh, the possibilities are absolutely endless for them. And then the Chiefs, Andy Reid, all reliable. Um, he's a fucking magician and to do what he does. And the thing is, is just like a few years back, the, their defense is not very good. They're going to have to outscore everybody. Mm -hmm. and, but they're, they're talented enough on the offensive side to do it. The one thing I think the Bills have going for them this year is they have a really good fucking defense. So I, you know, kind of foresight here down the road, I, I think that everyone would probably pick that to be the AFC Championship game, right? Bills, Chiefs again. I just hope back. that they don't meet again before then because I want to see it matter. I want to see it be for a chance to play in the Super Bowl. But I think you're right. Bills, Chiefs, to me, are the two best teams in the league. I think the Bills are a little bit better. But the Chiefs, they have Mahomes. And if you have Mahomes, you have a chance. I think the Giants are total frauds. Remember, the Broncos started 3-0 last year, finished 7-10 and or whatever it was. Uh, Eagles, I actually think, are for real. Because you picked them last week. Or I think you picked them to beat the... Or no, I'm sorry. You picked the Vikings to beat them. Excuse me. And I think that we both said that Kirk Cousins was very good. And so the Eagles looked pretty good. That defense looked really, really good. And I think Jalen Hurts is probably dangerous enough to keep you in games and win you some football games. I am worried about the Bucks, and I want to get into how that game went. And nothing on the field really was dazzling. But boy, there was a fight in that game that just, it was fascinating to watch. And I think the fascinating thing for me to watch was that Bruce Arians, fired Bruce Arians, was somehow on the sidelines. And we know that Tom's probably not a big fan of Bruce, and he's sending Mike Evans in there to... I mean, it was just a really, really strange thing. And I think the Bucks, you are right, organizationally are in a very strange spot. So one thing, I feel like poor officiating creates some of these opportunities at times. And there should have been a passing interference call on that play, in my opinion, which led to the whole scuffle to begin with. Now, granted, there are scuffles that happen after properly officiated plays. But in cases like this, I mean, I my armchair quarterback opinion it was a very obvious passing interference situation that led to all the bullshit i try to be as subjective or excuse me objective as i can in these situations because those guys are out there man their adrenaline's pumping a million miles an hour they're in a competitive situation where their livelihood is attached to whatever happens on that field and emotions are running high so I, I, I try to remember that when you see this stuff happen, you're like, man, that's ugly. That's shitty. You know, you're, you're a pro don't behave that way. But at the same time, you're a pro, right? Like walk away, walk away. And, and you could probably put some of that on, on Brady, man, for he kind of egged some of it on to some degree. Cause what happened was he was the one down there running his mouth. And the second somebody put a hand on him, here comes his boys to his defense, which is cool to see, I guess that they respect him that much. But Mike Evans took took the bullet for Tom Brady in that situation is kind of what it amounted to. And uh, I, I wish we saw less of that. As I get older, I, I, I maybe when I was younger, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that's cool. But as I get older, I'm like, grow up, be an adult. 
I, I don't know, kind of mixed emotions. I think for me, it was the fact that Mike Evans wasn't anywhere near the scuffle. And we also know that he and Marshawn Lattimore have quite a history together. They do not like each other. So there seems to be personal beef there that I think got in the way. But yes, Brady was, was jawing, but it was just a strange thing because there's video footage of Bruce Arians. Again, I question why he's even on the sideline to begin with when he left his position as coach and Todd Bowles is the guy now. Yeah, what's up with that, dude? That's so, honestly, like, it kind of, like, escaped me for a moment that he wasn't the coach anymore. So I'm like, well, there's Bruce Arians. He didn't seem like he even gives a fuck about what's happening. And then he's John with somebody. Yes, I want to point out, like, organizationally some odd things. Like, Tom Brady now gets every Wednesday off, and nobody else gets any Wednesdays off. So he doesn't have to show up to practice every single Wednesday, which is interesting. Now, I think when you have a player of his caliber, and every superstar in the league is going to get some concessions as it relates to, you know, the, their practice schedule or what have you. But I do wonder if that over the long term is going to cause any type of strife with the team because everybody else has to show up and Tom gets to sit out Wednesdays. He took 11 days off to apparently go to Bermuda and he had the coach fired, retired, came back. It's just really, really odd. And they made, I think, Bruce Arians like a special assistant to the GM or something. Why is he on the field? He has no business being on the sideline. That's Todd Bowles' team. And it's just organizationally they feel lost right now and if they don't clean up this kind of thing they're not going to make a super bowl run no and, and honestly like if you're tom brady and you're as competitive and driven and as motivated as you've been telling everybody for 20 fucking years why do you need wednesday off you've got the off season why do you need to go to Bermuda for 11 days during training camp? Like, if you can't be committed to be there the way that you need to be there, then ret stay retired. Not retire. Stay retired. Like, you're not broke. You have a millionaire wife who's a supermodel who, who probably hates you at this point because you're so obsessed with what you're doing, I can only assume. I, I just do not understand. I mean, I get loving something and wanting to do it, but what, what is this... What is there going on within that team that draws you back so much, so strongly? You know what I mean? Like, it looks like a, a shit show. It looks like a total shit show. It is. It definitely is. And it's to me, it's very glaring. And it's so, so the antithesis of what he was in New England. And everybody wants to shit on Bill Belichick to say, oh, see, well, he's not anything without Brady and all that. But Belichick's system has always been the system. And they got the win this past weekend. They didn't look that great, but they won. And Brady's out here, you know, looking, I don't know. He looks lost. It doesn't look the same to me. I do wonder if he's one foot in, one foot out. And the organization is kind of fostering that. They're enabling that. And if he's off every single Wednesday, I, I agree with you. Unless he's hurt or there's some medical reason, to me, it seems like it's even more disconnected from the team, disconnected from the game. And what made Tom Brady the greatest of all time is his sole dedication to football. Yeah, hyper competitiveness it, it is dangerous, especially as you age and, and you really should be moved on. Like, it's great that, you know, that drive in you is, it's like the thing that made you great is going to be the thing that makes you fail ultimately and and i think in anything whether it's a sport um whether it's something like music or art you know i do think there's a fine line between genius and madness mm -hmm. right and and it, we're almost sort of kind of see that a little bit man with tom it's it just like dude man I, I mean i've seen people like you know colin cowherd's like one of his biggest supporters he's like tom go home you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's so bizarre. And I, I really thought he'd be the one that would, you, you, we've seen plenty of people stay past their, their prime, but 
I really thought he'd be the one that would walk away when the time was right. Yeah, I don't know if he's ever going to walk away when the time is right. If In the boxing world, they say the ring will retire you. And I feel like that's what Tom wants. He wants to almost be hit so hard that he has to retire on the spot. Like, let the field retire him. And he has an opportunity that a lot of players don't have. For him to go out with the accolades that he has, to go out on his own terms, even if it's not after winning a Super Bowl, he gets to make that call. But the longer he stays out there, and especially the longer he stays out there where he's not hyper-competitive and not all-in, I think it becomes dangerous for him, and then he's going to be forced to retire. And we're going to have to have that awkward moment of remembering him like we remember Patrick Ewing in a Raptors jersey. And I just don't, you know. Yeah, well, we, we probably just guaranteed that the Bucks are now going to win the Super Bowl, yep. and he's going to be the MVP. <laughs> Absolutely, we have. So I want to transition to the NCAA because you talked about the fine line between genius and madness, and you're a big Mike Leach guy. So I wanted you to expound a little bit on that because I don't know what Mike Leach is up to these days outside of being in Starkville, Mississippi. Have you never, have you never like taken a half hour of your time and, and YouTubed Mike Leach press conferences? Oh, he's wonderful. I've seen oh, so goodness. many and heard things. I mean, he lives in Key West, doesn't he? And he's like a pirate, basically. I love Mike Leach, but did he do something specifically recently that got you so high on him that you felt the need to text me yeah. about, I love Mike Leach? Oh, so I stumbled. Now, I think this happened. Hell, fuck. This might have happened last year, but it's happened since he's been in Mississippi State. But I happened, and maybe it was a couple weeks ago. They played Arizona, and apparently Arizona has a, Arizona, Arizona State, maybe Arizona. They have a thing where uh, they have a turnover sword. So when there is an interception, fumble, whatever, they take the ball to the sideline and they fucking impale it with a sword. And he was, Mike Leach was asked about it after the game. And he was like, well, frankly, you know, as he only could, I'm kind of jealous that I didn't think about that first. And, you know, I think that's pretty cool. You know, he's like, I mean, I guess three of them, they were entitled to, I think one of them, they just did as a test to make sure it worked. And um, he's like, but I'm pretty sure we'll be sending them a bill uh, for the footballs. And I, I mean, it was just this whole rant and rave, but it was just so incredible. I mean, just to make you, cause I hear turnover sword and like, even like thinking Mike, leech pops into my head and then that happened to him and then you know of course the algorithm with all these uh social media networks you know you, you watch one mike leach video next thing you know you see 12 mike leach videos and there was one where someone asked him when he was at washington state about he was describing what would happen if all the mascots of the pac-12 had basically battled and it was so descript <laughs> and with great detail i mean it was incredible and the fact that this guy can just fire that stuff off but i will tell you my number one mike leach story and i, and I want to say i heard this from a, a guy that i coached for that had some college football connections and so forth that mike leach was this is when he was at texas tech was sitting in the coach's office and his phone rings and he answers the phone and he just starts having a conversation with this person. I mean, just whatever. Like, how's it going? It's total casual conversation. The call drops for whatever reason. He calls the person back. They resume the conversation. This is like 45 minutes long. They get off the phone. And one of the assistants goes, hey, who was that? He goes, oh, they had the wrong number. <laughs> and he talked to the person for 45 minutes. I mean, I, how can you not love that guy? Oh, I just love him to death. He's fan. I would just love to like sit down and talk to him. Give me one hour to talk to Mike Leach and I would walk away a better person. 
it's funny in today's NCAA where this the smarmy uh, salesman gets all the people. When you think about the coaches that are out there, I mean, like Nick Saban shows up. I guess he doesn't really have to recruit the same way he did, but you think about guys like him, Urban Meyer, these guys that you wouldn't trust with your money and you're trusting them with your kid. Mike Leach, I'd have to think, is one of those guys where you either love that guy or you're like, no, I can't send my kid to this guy. But I can tell you what, if Mike Leach was in my living room and said, I'll take care of your kid, He's got my sense of humor, so I feel like I'd love that. And there's something endearing about him that I think that is lost on major college football. And unfortunately, he hasn't won anything of significance to get to that playoff or what have you. But it would be great if he could. He's just got to get rid of it. And he's still running the air raid. Yeah, and that's one thing that's funny is like Gardner Minshew at Washington when he was at Washington State. He talks about when he was recruiting because like Gardner was like the backup quarterback at Alabama. Or I, th- I think he was at Alabama or maybe he was being recruited by Alabama. And Mike Leach goes, well, hey, do you want to be the third string quarterback at Alabama or do you want to lead the nation in passing? You know? Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, okay. So then he goes to Washington State and sure as shit, he led the nation in passing. You know, I mean, it's incredible. And yeah, he's a big air raid guy, which is just all about spacing. It's 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 all route route conversions and just basically to, when you're running your route, just find space and, and stop. Uh, it's it, I don't know a whole lot about the off the air raid offense, but that that about sums up my knowledge of it right there. But he's had a lot of success with it. Yeah, and Gardner Minshew is still hanging out as a backup in Philadelphia in jorts on the sideline, so he's doing just fine for himself. But this week to me was kind of meh in college football, and I want to just kind of rat-a-tat-tat go through some of the results that we had. So we were dead wrong about BYU. They got absolutely blown out. Well, let me just say that Brad was mostly dead wrong. I might have said that Oregon can get back into the playoff conversation with a win here, and they looked the part. And I've not been a big Bo Nix guy, but I have to give them credit. They looked amazing. BYU looked like absolute crap on the road. Not great. Uh, Texas A&M is back with another win over another team that they had no business beating. So I'm sure that they'll lose to some other team like Missouri in the SEC later. Penn State took care of business. I thought that was actually the most impressive win of the weekend for me because they're a team nobody's really talking about despite having a pedigree of being in the top 10 in the Big 10. And they're kind of moving up the chains and get a big win at an SEC school that is known for having a good program. And they did it in style. Like it was a blowout. And also, of course, I was right about the Huskies beating Michigan State. I did say Washington could be a tough place to play. And that was another one that was kind of like, there's really nobody who wants to step up and be that dark horse team. But I want to ask you, is there a dark horse team that you think is going to take that step and make the playoff that nobody's thinking about? Well, one thing I, I think that myself specifically, we are punishing Oregon a little bit for their blowout loss at Georgia. But what I think is lost on that is Georgia's really goddamn good. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, they're doing it to everybody, and and I think they're going to keep doing it to everybody. And, uh, you know, Penn State, impressive. But I think we still got a few more weeks before we really find out if they're legit when they go to Michigan. I don't think Texas A&M is back. I think we have more disappointment coming. Uh, you were right about Michigan State. I was totally wrong. I really thought they'd go on the road and uh, be impressive. So that's a good win for the Huskies. Uh, dark horses. I don't know if you consider these dark horses, but just they're not. They're ranked out of the playoff picture right now. USC, man, like they're scheduled the rest of the way until I mean, if Notre Dame gets their shit together, maybe it can be a game at the end of the year. But like right now, their schedule is pretty cush the rest of the way out. I don't think they play a ranked opponent. And you're gonna fucking tell me they're gonna keep an undefeated USC team out of the playoff? No, they're not. Um, you know, sorry for Wake Forest, but if USC, if Wake Forest goes undefeated, USC goes undefeated, USC's in. 
Oklahoma. That's another one. I know they're only like six right now, but uh, but they got Texas in two weeks, and then they got Baylor and Okie State both looming on the schedule. Those are three ranked teams, so we will find out how good Oklahoma is. But I, I think they've looked really solid, and and really, yeah, you can't count out Washington, man. They're they're there. They're hanging tough. I mean, we I just mentioned Wake Forest. There's a few teams that are that are there in the twenties or wherever. They're looking solid. The U.S. or the SEC, of course, has seven or eight ranked teams but that'll work itself out i mean the the sad part is is like you're not going to see more than two sec teams in the playoff and those two teams are going to be alabama and georgia um mm-hmm. e- even if the the third and fourth best team in the sec are the third and fourth best teams in the country that's just not the way that the playoff works right now so you know that kind of sucks for those schools but that's just the way it's going to go no three and oh kansas jayhawks in the dark horse category come on brad no not i mean and the big 12 man i i in my mind, I kind of shit on the Big 12, but there's some good programs there. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma are still in the Big 12 right now. Uh, Baylor's in the Big 12. They're very solid. You can't count out Powerhouse Nebraska. Kidding, because they're in the Big 10 and they suck. But, um, you know, we wish they were still in the Big 12 with as good as they used to be. You know, I, I'm not sure. Iowa State, you know, Matt Campbell's a really good coach. They're, they're going to be a, a tough opponent week to week, but, I mean, they're not overly impressive, but they're very well coached, and so uh, they're going to be competitive. Um, no, I, I'm not sold on three and Nebraska or Kansas. Jesus, Kansas, not sold on three and Kansas at all remotely. One more thing before we move on to next week's preview. So App State pulling on everybody's heartstrings yet again with a hail mary to win the game. I mean, this team is ridiculous. It's one thing after another after another. I wish they were three and but man, what a crazy ending to that game. And the more times App State is in the news or in the media for something in college football, the better. I thought that was pretty crazy when I saw it. Well, and how about college game day, man? Going to App State. Yeah, you got to love that. No, I agree. The more, and that's one thing I really commend ESPN and college game day for over the last couple of years, they've seemed to be more inclined to going to these types of places. I think they were at like South Dakota State last year for South Dakota State, North Dakota State last year the year before something you know app state this year i you know it's great it's great for the game because that's that's what college football is about college football is not yes we all love the you know the alabamas and whatever but that's not what college football is about college football is about the app states of the world the app states beating texas a and the app states beating michigan it's about these small schools small brands that aren't national powers going and beating these traditional brands marshall beating notre dame you know that's what it's about. It, 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 I love it, man. I, that's my favorite thing about college football is is the underdog. Well, game day treats college football for its history. That it's not about the big money programs. It's about the history and the pageantry of college football. And so they will go to James Madison. They will go to App State. And I think that that's that is great to your point. But looking at this week, so our two teams. West Virginia, Virginia Tech. I cannot tell you how much I hate West Virginia. This rivalry, the Diamond Trophy, used to be every single year. And then because big college football is what it is, it stops. But we have renewed this rivalry in Blacksburg. And I'm looking forward to it, even though I have a feeling West Virginia is going to clean house because our offense stinks. And Notre Dame travels to Mac Brown and the UNC Tar Heels. How do you feel about that game? Well, I agree with you. I think West Virginia is going to take care of business in Blacksburg. Uh, Notre Dame and USC. So um, this this is their first. Well, fuck. Well, they're tested every week, no matter what, just because of the position they're in. I think this game is really going to be a turning point for how the rest of the season is going to go. And not so much if they win or lose the game, but how they play. I just want to see them play well. 
because even last week in the win over Cal, like they, they did enough to win, but they didn't play very well. They made a lot of mistakes. Now, granted, you had the backup quarterback who was jittery, made a lot of mistakes early, but you, you'd hope over a week here we can get that straightened out. And then I believe they're on a bye after the North Carolina game. So, you know, if they can go down there and get a win, they could really sort of build some momentum over the bye week and, and kind of get things going in the right direction. But, uh, I mean, I'm very curious. I haven't looked yet to see what the line on that game is. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Carolina is the favorite. Yeah, I didn't look. But looking at the matchups that matter, looks like we have Tennessee and Florida. Kind of feels like old times, doesn't it? Two ranked teams in this particular matchup. It's been quite a while since we've had that. Usually, Florida's been ranked, and Tennessee really hasn't been anything for a long time, ever since Philip Fulmer left. And it's been not a lot of success, but... This Tennessee team has a chance to be spoiler in the SEC. Hendon Hooker looking great. And Florida needs another win after, you know, we have a big letdown uh, last week. So I think this is an intriguing matchup. You mentioned Wake Forest. Wake Forest is not long for the playoff. They're hosting uh, Clemson this week. So I'm pretty sure we'll probably see Clemson beat them. And our boys, Washington, are hosting Stanford. And I think that that is an interesting matchup as well. But I want to get your thoughts on the uh, those three matchups. Um, I like Tennessee. I like Tennessee over Florida. I do think they're the better team. You know, F Florida, I was a little higher on them earlier in the year. Obviously, they've not held up their end of the bargain. Clemson, uh, yeah, that's they're the obvious favorite, but how fun would it be if Wake Forest wins that game? I'd love to be having that debate, you know, two months from now. Hey, what happens to an undefeated ACC champ Wake Forest? Washington hosting Stanford. I think Washington's the favorite there. Stanford's not what they were. But hey, man, let's talk about Arkansas going to College Station too, man. Like, you think that you know is, is Texas A&M going to put a couple wins together here and get themselves back on track? Arkansas is that SEC team that was crap for so long, and now they've had some semblance of sustained success, but not enough to really get over the hump. And I feel like they've been ranked since the preseason, and they need this win. And it feels like the kind of the kind of game where Texas A&M beats Miami doesn't look particularly great doing it going to have a lot of confidence back and I see Arkansas coming in and taking care of business here because I just think that they need it more than Jimbo Fisher's squad because if Jimbo Fisher's squad needed it then they would have had it already and I feel like they're just so up and down and I like Arkansas in this game personally even though College Station is a tough place to play yeah I mean gosh I feel like Texas A&M has played every game at home this year so far have they I don't <laughs> it, it feels like it but yeah, I would love to. I think whatever happens in this game, it's sort of going to be a springboard for whoever wins this game into a successful rest of the season. Uh, every week is a battle in the SEC, but I really would, just like you, I would love to see Arkansas win this game. I just don't like Jimbo Fisher, man. I would love to be here in a few weeks us talking about how he's going to get the Scott Frost treatment or something like that. I just don't care for the guy a whole lot. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Texas A&M and what they're about and everything, but no, not Jimbo so much. Speaking of Scott Frost, did you hear that there were overtures from Nebraska to Urban Meyer? I, For the show's sake, I hope it happens because that would create content forever. But Jesus, please stop calling the guy. No, and that's what it blows my mind. Every time a big time college football job opens up, they, they want to reach out to Urban Meyer. And I'm like, God, don't you guys realize? And I'm sure some of these other guys are too, but this guy's a fucking dirtbag. Like, I mean, it, it's just been demonstrated time and time again. And, and kind of like we were talking about with the, the big time owners, it all gets just brushed under the rug because they win football games. 
Um, I mean, hell, I'm sure well, fucking Iowa better watch out the the way they've been playing. You know, they'll be calling for Urban Meyer to go to Iowa here soon. Yeah, well, Iowa gets to play Rutgers this week, and that couldn't be a less appealing matchup in all of college football. That's just, it makes me want to vomit. How many dozens of people do you think will be at that game? I think it is in New Jersey, so you're likely to get oh my gosh. a few hundred, maybe a couple thousand I mean, Rutgers football exists solely to get a paycheck, and it hasn't mattered. I actually think Greg Schiano might be the coach there, and I don't say that flippantly. I think he actually might be the coach at Rutgers football. Somebody who's listening can look that up for me and let us know at Drippin' Sports on Twitter, but it doesn't matter. And Iowa, I didn't even check to look. I, I tweeted last week that Iowa was favored by 24, and I thought it was cute that Vegas thought they could score 24 points total in a game, let alone win by 24. I did not check the final score last week of Iowa, but I didn't see the final score, but the game, I, it wasn't great. I mean, it was another low scoring game. I'm pretty sure, but it, the game went until like two o'clock in the morning. Why? Where was it? Weather. Or oh, whatever. I'm okay. pretty sure they were in Iowa city, but yeah, they went to like 2 AM. I mean, there was literally, it, it was as many people in the stands that are going to be in New Jersey this weekend. Uh, it was like 12 people. Just awful, man. And I feel just awful. Uh, this is uh this is this is some of the bad stuff that we have to deal with here R iowa rutgers i mean i can't tell you how oh god it's so not appealing it's a disgrace to big time college football it is but what's not a disgrace is that the parody of the nfl provides us with great matchups just about every week if you think about it there really aren't dud weeks very often in the nfl i mean sometimes you get some of them generally speaking it's when they front load the the one o'clock you know schedule where it's like 10 games and then you get nothing in the afternoon but ravens pats I think that that's an interesting matchup because the Ravens need to get their mojo back traveling to Foxborough, not once what it once was. Patriots defense is going to be under some um, under some duress, and they played well this season, but the offense just does not have enough firepower to keep up with these teams like the Ravens. I just think that if they can keep it close, it could be interesting headed into the fourth quarter. No, I feel like, uh, first of all, you mentioned the, the early window, late window. I'm much more in tune, man, with the early window of NFL games. There's just more games going on and more action-packed. It's such, it's kind of a letdown, man, going in. I almost feel like they should flip-flop it. You know, you kind of build up to all the games because when you go into 3 o'clock window, it's, or in your case, 4 o'clock, it's just like, it's kind of a lull. But Ravens-Pats, I think that this is sort of, uh, again, like we talked about with Arkansas and A&M earlier, like this sort of a launching point for whoever wins this game kind of sets them on track to have a successful season. Uh, the Pats look pretty good last week. You can't ever discount Bill Belichick, but just like we talked about, here's two teams that have lost to the, Dol the Dolphins and a rookie head coach that have two veteran head coaches. You, you have two very opposite quarterbacks. You have a very calculated um, game manager type in Mac Jones, and you have a dynamic playmaker like Lamar Jackson. But if there's anybody that I think can find a way to contain Lamar Jackson, it's Bill Belichick. But drawing it up on a whiteboard and executing it in real life are two totally different things. Give me the Ravens. I was going to say, you're totally going to text me on Sunday that you took the Ravens with the money line. So we'll, we'll, we will wait for that news. Raiders at Titans. Whoever loses this game is dead and buried. I think both teams are dead and buried, but uh, I, I'd like to like the Raiders here. No, I like the Raiders too. I agree that one of the, whoever loses that game, you might as yeah, we will have a visitation next week for for their season. Uh, you know, the only thing that the Titans have going for them is that it's in Nashville. But if they cannot get Derrick Henry going enough that they can open up the play action passing game to give Tannehill a remote chance to get some shit going downfield, uh, it's going to be a long year for them. I do think the Raiders have some hope still, so I'm with you on the Raiders. Bills traveling to the Dolphins. I think this is where the Dolphins get humbled because the Bills are on a revenge tour right now. I like the Bills here. 
it's tough to play in Miami in September when it's hot. Uh, we saw that when the Patriots were down there. We've seen it year in and year out. Uh, I think it's an ugly game. I don't think we see what we saw to the Bills last night, but I think they find a way to get out of there with a W. Packers at Bucks. Aaron Rodgers, I think, gets the best of Brady. I know that the Bucks are in turmoil right now. I think the Packers are a little bit more in sync, as bad as they looked in week one. I feel like that's their new shtick now. They look like shit in week one. They come back and win convincingly in week two. I actually kind of like the Packers here. Yeah, I think the Packers are starting to get it together. I think they looked better um, Sunday night and agreed the Bucks are in turmoil. There's a lot of weird things going on there. Uh, sure, we have the whole, again, the whole Florida weather thing, but I feel good about the Packers. Rams traveling to the Cardinals. Now, I'm going to take a controversial one here because I think that, to me, the Rams haven't looked like a well-oiled machine just yet. I know that they took care of business against the Falcons, but I did tell you that it wasn't going to be close, and it was close. And they don't seem like they have the same swagger as last year. I think winning a Super Bowl, it it changes you a little bit. And I have asked myself if guys like Matt Stafford and Aaron Donald are questioning coming back after they finally got to the mountaintop and basically cemented their legacies. I actually like the Cardinals here coming off of that big win last week. Um, we talked about it. Sean McVay's a slow starter. I think he's going to get those guys in. I mean, those guys are pros. They're competitors, you know, and Darnold and Stafford. Kind of what I see here is everyone kind of starts to open their eyes a little bit and notice the Cardinals just in time for the Rams to come to town and put them back in their place. I think Rams convincingly. And the last one I want to highlight is Niners Broncos. We haven't talked about the Broncos yet because, quite frankly, Russ's cooking has kind of looked like Chef Boyardee up until this point. And, boy, they really need to get it going. Nathaniel Hackett needs to figure out how best to use Russ. He looks very similar to the way that he looked in Seattle with when he had more weapons. Remember when we got on Pete Carroll in that offensive uh, situation there? And I think the Niners coming in, they're, it's tough to play in Denver, but Jimmy G gave them a boost last week. They're obviously built to win the way they were last year. I like the Niners here in a tough game because I haven't seen anything yet from the Broncos to convince me that they've figured it out offensively. I agree. I think that I have not agreed. Like you said, I've not been impressed with Russell Wilson at all. The Broncos offense has been sputtering, which has been a shock to me. I really thought we'd see more out of them. Russell has not been dynamic in the passing game, which he never necessarily has been, but he's always made up with it with his legs, which he has not been doing to this point. He's getting old. I think that this week you're going to see a more Jimmy G geared game plan for the 49ers, which I mean, sure, you can look at last year or whatever, but you're not going to have a lot of recent tape on. There's an ability for the Niners to put in some new wrinkles that the Broncos haven't seen. Um, I, I, I agree, 49ers, and I don't think it'll be that close. And there's a lot of teams that are playing that are one and one There's a lot of other games. We can't highlight all of them because there are a lot of games, a lot of content to get to as we have you know, done so far. But let us know who you like on Twitter and let us know what your team or your the outlook for your team this year, whether it's NCAA or NFL. But all I can tell you is that we have a lot of great games to get to this weekend and we have two segments to get to. So we're hitting up on the stat of the week. Now, last week I had to make up for some lost time and I gave a bunch of stats. I actually have two this week. And I'm going to give you two because even though I gave one a little earlier, it's hard to pick just one because you come across some of these things and you just have to share them, especially for the, the listening audience, but really for you because you have no idea. Now, I did share one with you about Iowa and Texas A&M. That was really, really great. But here's one for you. So coming into this week, there were eight former Jet kickers that played this week. So 25% of the kickers in the league at one point in time had kicked for the Jets prior to. I think that's just crazy. 
That's absolutely nuts, man. I, it doesn't shock me with this, with this. I feel like the last couple of years have been crazy with kickers and, and just missed field goals and guys getting released and everything else. So it's not surprising. I, yeah, I just was like, wow. I mean, 25% of the league having kicked at some point for the Jets was, was hilarious to me. So we don't really talk about kickers all that often, but I thought that was worthy of inclusion. But this is really the stat of the week in, in earnest. This is insane. I think it's true, and I haven't been able to go. I didn't go and look it up, but apparently Tua has never had a career losing record at any point in time. So his career win-loss record has always been in the positive. And Justin Herbert has never had a career winning record at any point in time. So he has always had a career losing record. So Tua has always been on the winning side and poor Justin Herbert or Jake Herbert has always been on the losing side more often than not. And it's pretty incredible when you think about these guys playing in high school and how dominant they usually are in high school. Their teams are usually very, very good. For him to have never gotten over 500 career at any point in time, I think that's interesting. Now, I need to vet this, and if somebody can vet this, but I've seen this in a lot of different places. So uh, there's a lot of Tua memes out there that like to talk about how great he is. So I thought that was interesting to share. No, that's super interesting. I think that I don't know if anyone would suspect that because, like you said, you, you would expect that their high school careers are pretty prolific in college as well. And that leads us to the coach's pick of the week. Now, the the graphic up on the screen for Brad, season record is 0-2. Last week, he had Jake Herbert and the Chargers over the Chiefs, and they came close. Jake is hurt now. Justin Herbert may not be back this year. He's got Tyrod Taylor's doctor, who Tyrod sued the guy, by the way, working on his ribs. I would feel a little bit a little bit weary about that but there you have it so Owen two he's got some making up to do and let's see what he's got for this week so coach what is your pick of the week for the audience all right man no no uh, hesitation here Packers plus one and a half at Tampa Bay um, I mean I think they went out right but if they're gonna give you a point and a half you'll take it I, I we talked about it a little bit earlier in more detail but I think Packers plus one and a half at Tampa Bay I think we get off the schneid this week all right you heard it here first hammer the bucks on the over and uh that's what's gonna <laughs> get you there that's what's gonna get you there and so there you have it coach's pick of the week he's got packers over the bucks with the money line and straight up we may count that as two losses when the bucks beat the packers next week by 21 points and brady has a five touchdown game to show us all that we can suck his dick basically because that's what tom does yes no doubt about that absolutely tom puts us in our place and i'm sure he will Yep, and it's inevitable. This show is about two things. It is about killing dreams. Every time we get behind a team, nothing works, and it all goes downhill. And every time we don't like a team, they tend to rise to the occasion. So that is the dripping sports curse, depending on how you look at it. If your team is on the receiving end of our ire, it means you can have a great season. So just want to remind everybody to support the Pub Time Podcast live stream every Tuesday, and their new episodes come out every Thursday. Again, lots of debauchery to be had, but you guys are putting out some great stuff. So if you want to hear a little bit of a different flair of Coach Brad, he is not Coach Brad over there. He's just Brad. Uh, you can go listen to Pub Time Podcast wherever you find your podcast. And of course, the podcast is a part of the Matty S Media Network, my show, Drip, Trip, and Spill. And then, of course, this show and all the other ones. And that is at MattySMedia.com. Coach, any final words before we sign off here? Matty Ice, always a pleasure. Just a little quick update here. Uh, coaching coaching my daughter's first through third grade soccer team this year we had our first game last saturday three to one win off to a one and oh start 
I'm looking forward to uh, destroying our opponent this Saturday to, to remain undefeated. I've got the troops ready to go. We have a little practice Thursday, have a, a very strenuous practice planned to have them ready to roll and ready to go into battle on Saturday. Wanted to add that. And of course, just leads us right into a great weekend of football. And that means it is all downhill for your daughter's team. They are going to lose here on out. And that means that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. I hope you have a great week. And we'll talk to you all next week. This is Drippin' Sports. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad are those of Matt, Brad, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad is exclusively owned by Matt and Brad and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.